0: And welcome to the Hearty Podcast. If it's your first time here, boy, you are lucky. You get to listen to Stephanie and Heather, co-hosts of this show, really get real and not be able to hold back the tears. Doesn't that sound like fun? Actually, it's cathartic, and we hope it's a balm for you too. Just to hear people being real people and uh, not hiding anything. In fact. I didn't edit it or cut anything in any way. This is Heather, by the way. Heather King, co-host with Stephanie Wilson for the Hardy Podcast. So here we go. Hand over heart. We love you. Hello, Stephanie. This is your old friend, Heather. How are you? You'll have to get back to me on that. You can't answer me right now because I'm recording by myself in my room, trying to hide with pillows around me to try to make it not echoey. It is so cold and getting colder here. I'm under my blankets. We have so much to talk about, and there's so many topics, and it's impossible for us to get on here at the same time. It seems so silly, but it's like my dad said to me recently that maybe my problem isn't so much that I'm procrastinating or like the times I feel like I'm lazy or just not on top of things and scattered and messy. He said, your problem is interruptions and of course this is true for every parent or caregiver and every person and now the frenetic pace of life online and offline makes it so that our lives are just spilling over with interruptions. Speaking of I don't know if you heard one of my dogs bark right then so that's funny timing. Um, so I have been doing so many things, but I don't even know how to articulate what I've been doing, because how do you describe a bunch of interruptions? Um, we all get it. I don't need to go into detail about that. I've just been out here being human, like the rest of us. Um, but we do have this major change in our lives going on. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, my parents live next door to me, and I help take care of them. Um, My dad was diagnosed with leukemia, and a month after that, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when they were 67 and 69. Um, And now, it's about five years later, my dad's had a bone marrow transplant and has lots of issues due to his illness and illnesses that come after transplant and my mom's been fading and they have been very central to my life obviously Um, and we have gone through a lot of ups and downs with trying to figure out when a person goes to memory care so to anyone out there in that situation oh I feel you This is exhausting and so painful. And no matter what the differences are in what we all go through as someone with dementia, there's a lot of similarities and we can feel less alone by talking about it. But it's interesting that for a long time, my mom didn't want my help, didn't like to see me. Um, She felt out of control and insecure, of course, and felt belittled by someone doing the things that she used to do, which was everything. My mom was always productive, moving. It was difficult to get her to sit down when we were kids, and she was gone a lot for her work, and... um, Now she's just homebound and and incapable of so many things that she used to be good at. And it was terribly hard for her for a very long time. And now we're in more of a childlike stage. And it's um, endeared her to me. I guess that's natural. I experienced a lot of pain through her anger and resentment. And I knew what was going on, but it brings up all kinds of issues. Caregiving for your parents is tricky because your child, like, that child inside of you just popping up all the time. And I did not have a terrible childhood, but we all have issues with whatever our parents carried with them. And my mom wasn't the most nurturing mom, she was um, just so busy, and it was hard for her to connect emotionally, and there's been a lot of stuff we've learned through the study of her brain um, over time that explains that, but um, anyway, I, we're about a week away from bringing her to memory care, and my stomach is just in knots all the time. And I go about my interrupted life distracted because of the interruptions. And then I have to do paperwork and phone calls and get things that she needs for her new, I'll call it an apartment, I guess. Um, And I can't believe it's happening. It's just, of course I should believe it's happening, but it's just all so... It's just such a grieving process. Dementia is a very confusing grief. And I don't know, it just trickles into your bones from the very start of the person's struggle and continues on and on and on and on. So we have a lot of healing to do, and we have this huge transition coming up and it's gotten me reflecting on all this time, um, caregiving. And, you know, whether or not we do that, why we do it, why we don't do it, not everyone can, of course. Our society is just not set up for it for the most part. And then like you, many people live miles and miles away from their parents and it's so hard to figure out how to be supportive as they age and for the roles to reverse it's just most of us go through it and it is a privilege in the sense of course that it's just loving someone and it's a privilege if you have the space in your life and ability to Be with them and to return some favors, I guess, you know. No matter what my relationship was like with my mom, she still was my mom and she took care of us and she cooked and she cleaned and she was not completely distant by any means. She was trying. She was really trying because she had a very cold mother who didn't ever say I love you or hug her. And my mom changed that. Um, And I can see that now as a mom, how much we go through becoming young mothers and trying to figure out who we are and what we want at the same time as figuring out how to be the mom we want to be. And there's so many limitations to that. But I, uh, at the same time, you know, I'm realizing that being this kind of caregiver it just can't be what a lot of people do like if they just don't have their own ability to do it their own resources and their own um enough of a connection with their parent or whoever took care of them in their younger years to be able to do it and I find it fascinating like how many people feel guilty about not being the caregiver or the main support person for their parents? And I don't think people should. I don't I don't think people should beat themselves up if they can't be that person. I think it's just everybody's different. Every situation is different. And we have to take care of ourselves too. And I know there's times where I've really lost that. Um, And I've kind of stunted my own life and career, whatever my career is. (laughs) For years now, it's just been this hodgepodge of, uh, excuse me, this hodgepodge of jobs and freelancing and just not really even knowing what I'm doing. And now I feel like I'm kind of turning a corner with that too. It's like, God, midlife is confusing. And my dear friend Leanne, who we often call Lee, who used to have Moms Without Blogs, the website, so that people could submit their writing without having to have a blog. Um, She said, you know, midlife is all about letting go. And I think that's really true in so many ways. Just letting go of your parents, letting go as your kids get older, letting go of these things you held on to that aren't serving you, you get it. So talk to me about that stuff. Like, how does it feel to be far away from your parents? Even though I know they're not necessarily, they don't have the issues that my parents do, but, you know, as they're aging, what does that feel like? And the whole letting go thing. I'd like to hear more about something you said in writing um, this past week, I think, about how our brains work because we're very similar and how you've been trying to strengthen the positives. Maybe that's how I could say it. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm not remembering it right. I don't think... But I wanted to hear more. Like, I was like, hey, tell me how to do that. (laughs) Because I don't think I'm very good at it. But it kind of is in line with that whole depression conversation we had and just kind of watching ourselves and accepting it rather than fighting and fighting to see a light that isn't there yet. Um, So, yeah, I want to hear more about that too. I hope you're having a good day. I love you.
1: Hi Heather. Well this is take two and let's just say I'm doing so much better now <laughs> than I was when I started recording earlier. I, It's been hard. It has been a cold, gray, dark winter here. Not as cold as you see but to us it's cold. Maybe it's all relative. Colder than we're used to and we're per- than we're prepared for and like no one here has coats and you know, I guess we should probably get coats. I am also just so sure spring is around the corner (laughs) and it's like every morning I'm just in shock that there's ice on my windshield and the sky has not changed from its (laughs) non-color. It's not even a color in so long. And I feel like my mood has been right there with it. It's been really hard Um, earlier when I was trying to record, I just couldn't stop crying. So um, we'll see how far we get here. But that's just like the tone of life right now in general. I feel like I am doing every single thing that I have in my self-care toolbox and mental health care you know all the resources i'm I'm doing everything. I feel like I'm doing all the things and getting no results. however, I'm convincing myself that I'll be able to see the result eventually. It's just something I don't see right now um I've just felt so tired and exhausted, and I feel like I'm just at the starting line like I'm already defeated and worn out and ready to quit before I even start it feels so overwhelming and I know I need to be hustling to be able to just make it as a single parent right now but I'm so tired and so I did actually take this day off to work at home but I'm really just trying to rest um been really hard to quiet my mind down to do that but I um had a good cry earlier and I think that helped release some stuff. Um and we just keep going. We keep on. Um I made some hummingbird food and it's just so funny because I saw the hummingbird hovering over the hummingbird feeder that they already drained. I just feel like I just filled it and I'm like, dude, I'm trying I I can hardly take care of myself right now, but of course I go in and I make some more hummingbird food. And that actually helped me a little to do that. So anyway. Uh it's really good to hear from you and I'm really sorry that I can't be there in person to help support you. And I this is such a hard time, hard thing you're going through. Um, And I know we've been following along and you've been sharing it, but it's hard. And I'm thinking a lot about you and I admire you so much. I love that you share it all with us and have really given, you know, a window to that world. Um, We do have very different relationships and distances with our parents. For me, being far away, I'm terrified for anything to happen to my parents because, number one, financially, I wouldn't be able to get to them, definitely not quick um, flying or driving. Um, and financially, I can't support them, you know, if they needed that. Um, it's hard. It's like the distance is a really strange thing to think about. I I think I avoid thinking about it. Um, I also think I use it as whatever little buffer I need to figure out my own life and identity because with my parents, I feel like we have such a great relationship and it's if, if I still maintain the role I had all growing up. And if I look back to that, it wasn't the healthiest. (laughs) Um, So it's hard. And I have, and like, you know, me, we like to go deep, we want to talk about deep things. And it's hard to do that with parents that tend to avoid or brush off those things. Or maybe just they don't even realize how important it is to connect with me in that way. Kind of feels like I just need to meet them where they're at and here here comes the tears I wonder if I'm expecting too much you know to ask them to meet me where I am so you know it's just one of those things you have to get over <laughs> or work through in life um it's hard because when I think about all the good things that are relationship, that's great, but there's definitely things that aren't great. It's hard um I've set a really hard boundary with my brother, and so when it comes to family dynamics, that affects my relationship with my parents too um and it's a boundary that's necessary. He's not accepting of Luna being trans, and that's just a hard, you know, stop for me. That's well, actually, it's a really easy choice. Um, there's no real, there's no relationship there, and and I know that means a lot to Luna. We were just talking about it the other night, you know. So I know I'm doing the right thing there. I don't know that my parents think I'm doing the right thing. I think they probably feel like I should get over some of that to just like have a relationship with my brother. But I feel like it's the other way around until he rises up to where we are. I don't see any way we can have any communication or relationship. And, you know. Then I tend to just like my brain turns that off and I don't really feel any more feelings about it. Um, I'm totally okay if I never speak to my brother again. Like there's no regret or remorse there at all unless he were to contact me and let me know he feels differently. Um, I just, the thing that bothers me is how it must make my mom feel to know her, her children don't have a relationship. Um, so that's hard. Um, for a long time, I let that control how I, how I operated and I don't do that anymore. So I don't have relationships with people that make me feel bad because it makes someone else feel good. Um, and then I have to just deal with whatever, that other person feels about that. (laughs) Um, it's hard. Um, I still love them and I'm able to separate it out. And so I think maybe the physical distance living, uh, you know, on different parts of the country is helpful in that way. But when I can't sleep at night and my thoughts are racing, you know, I wish I could go home but it's not it's just I don't know what it is. It's really hard. There's should be a what to expect, you know, you know what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect as an adult child. Um and then just looking to the other side, raising for basically almost adult children. And I, you know, try to do better with them. I make sure that they understand that I don't ever want them to have relationships with each other because they think it would make me feel better. I don't want them to mask or pretend ever for me. Um, I want them to do everything for what's best for them. It's something that's super important to me. Um, and I do think I'm going to face some hard stuff sooner than later. And I need to have these talks because, you know, what happens if something happens to my parents and I'm, I'm this far away? How, how does that even look? How does that handle, especially if I'm not in communication with my brother who is there with them? Um, I guess it's one of those things that I'm putting off until I have to face it, and I don't like that. I want to be um, more proactive about things like that, but I'm literally at the stage of life where if it's not on fire and screaming at me and like is it's like a super major emergency, it's not going to get any attention from me right now. Um, there's so many other areas of my life that are hemorrhaging <laughs> that I have to tend to. Um, it's so hard. Um, but as you were saying, I have been working on strengthening the muscles that are helping me, especially with anxiety and depression, um, the overwhelm, um, the burnout. <laughs> um, like I said, I just keep doing the things that I know work, even if I don't feel them working, Um, because even just the routine is helpful and it's, it's simple things like sometimes, you know, it's just the happy light in the morning. It's, um, sometimes it's rolling out my yoga mat and maybe doing one, one minute plank, but it's something, it gets me going. I've been having a lot of really good talks with my kids and really hard talks, um, but talking it out is so much better than, you know, putting it in a bag and shoving it in the closet. Like I do everything else. And that's what got me thinking of, I probably should be having some more conversations with my parents, um, about what we were just talking about, because I see how it benefits when I talk to my kids about those hard things. It's just that they're way easier to talk to because we receive it and understand it. It doesn't really always go that way when I try to talk to my parents. Like I said, I don't know how prepared they are or, you know, where they are, are at in their life to accept to talk about it and be able to really get deep. Um, so at least I'm seeing, you know, I kind of try to see those areas that seem to be screaming out. And and then I look into myself with my own kids, and I'm like, okay, how can I avoid this? <laughs> you know, how can I make this better for us? Um, I wish I had something to say that is way more valuable and helpful, especially to you. I know it's also different. I think I'm also feeling like a huge weight of, you know... I went into having four kids, not um, expecting to do it on my own. And that's been, um, it's been five years now and you know, we celebrate that. And I do think my divorce is one of my biggest triumphs. I'm so proud of myself for that, but it is so hard it's so hard as a period, but it's just been so hard. So another thing that we were talking about is how we are so hard on ourselves a lot of the time. And just the other day, I was thinking about something that just perturbs me to no end is when someone underestimates me. Someone underestimates me. Um, because I feel like, hello, do you see all I'm doing? <laughs> do you see all I'm uh, capable of? Do you see how badass I am? Don't underestimate me. Um, and I, I know that it I probably take it way more seriously than the person underestimating me would be doing. But I realized by I was journaling and thinking about it, I was like, I am so underestimating myself right now. And it was a really good wake up call. So I was going to ask you, like, are there anything in your life that you can think of that bugs you or is such a sensitive topic to you or like what people would call a pet peeve that you've kind of looked at yourself and been like, oh, I am the number one guilty subject at this doing this very thing. Um, it just made me kind of reflect in that way. And I just have a little story from Monday at work. It actually w- happened over the weekend, which was worse because I was kind of like Friday felt like the, uh, an error came up at work in something. Um, and I Number one, when anything ever goes wrong in life, at work, at home, whatever, my instant like reaction is to assume it's something I did or it's it's because of me. Um, it's just like, take it on immediately. And I'm really working through why I do that. <laughs> but this mistake came up and I thought, oh my gosh, I was just backtracking and looking everywhere. How could this mistake have happened? what was my role in it? How do I fix it? And so it was kind of in scramble mode and it was left hanging to button up on Monday. So I had to leave work Friday and kind of worry all weekend about it because I wasn't going to find my answers till Monday. And it really did, it was kind of cloud, a cloud over me. And turns out Monday had some conversations and it it totally was not anything that I did. It was, uh, had a, an exclamation, had an explanation. that was perfectly sensible. It all made sense. And I did not make a mistake. Everything was fine. All was well. Like nothing was bad. I did a good job. Um, someone even told me good job and it was such a great feeling. It was such a huge relief. So I told James, I messaged him and told him the whole scenario. And then I even did the TLDR, um, like too long, didn't read, uh, I thought I made a mistake, I didn't. I did a good job after all, all is well. And his reply was, uh, hey babe, even if you had made the mistake, it's still okay. And that is not what I expected to get a reply back uh, saying. And it really, it set me back a minute because I loved that response. But I still have a really hard time accepting it because I want to be like, no, it would not have been okay if I made a mistake. Um, I have to, you know, watch that part of me because it is making life impossible, (laughs) you know. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I am really working on embracing the mess ups and climb it out from it. <laughs> um. I have a lot more fun things to talk about. And say. But I'm going to end it here. Because I talked way too long. And cried way too much. Uh, feel free to edit or cut. Or not use any of this. <laughs> um. But thank you for listening to me. I did just. I saved like a a post from Julie Lithcott. Uh Oh, gosh I can't remember how to say her name so I'm looking it up real quick that just really spoke to me uh, it's Julie Lithcott Hames she posted the other day that she challenges everyone to make an eight-minute phone call to a friend because according to a new study um, that's all it can take to lower your level of depression anxiety anxiety and loneliness so I was thinking about us and our conversations and doing our podcast and how that is way longer than eight minutes a week, but just talking it out, just pressing record and putting it here, who knows where it will go, but at least it gets it out. Knowing you're listening is so helpful and I think it it has helped me. Every time we have an episode and we talk, I feel so much better afterwards. I feel like high Um, And I have to keep chasing that. I love you so much, Heather. Thank you for listening to me. I guess I really needed to get out those tears today. I love you.
0: Hello, my sweet friend. It's okay that you cried the whole time. I cried with you. It is hard stuff. So exhausted. And I loved listening to you and just the honesty. We both happen to be in a lot of pain and have been for years. And you're right. A lot of it is just, you know, I did all these things, but this wasn't supposed to look this way. And I can surrender and accept and do that for real and still hurt. It's both. I was talking to my dad today and my sister. My aunt took my mom out so we could get some memory care things done and ready. And we were asking my dad how he's really feeling and when you've had someone by your side For fifty four years, you know. And he talked about the longer you're alive, the more you learn to accept things as they are because you've learned to do it so many times. There's so much practice in a life. And he said that doesn't mean, you know, not feeling it or not processing it, um, but that he's doing better than he thought because he's come through so many things. And we don't get to predict what that's going to look like. Part of this memory care thing is Fear. Is she going to be miserable? Um, Is she going to be scared? It's so lonely. And um, the truth is a month from now, it will look really different than we ever could have imagined. But there are so many things like this, like going through this that just go on and on and I think maybe why we're both crying <laughs> and can't stop. It's an unusual thing we're doing. But it's okay. Um it's just so much grief. Because whether our parents are around or not, we grieve. We grieve. Old things and the hard things and the way they are in your family. Um, That you have a family member that is supposed to love you unconditionally and can't is something to grieve. And sometimes it just comes up and out And it's necessary to have a day of crying and hurting and trying to figure out things because they become normal. We don't feel it so intensely all the time, and then it just bubbles up. I was telling my friend, my lifelong friend, who just lost her brother, very quickly and unexpectedly, um... She kept talking or texting, saying, I don't have words. just can't talk. And then when she did call me, she was only able to talk to me about the facts of what happened. She couldn't actually talk about her brother. She said, if I talk about him, I just cry. If I tell you the facts, I can get through it. And I texted her another time saying, you know, I think what grief does is it pulls us into this very childlike self. And that little child is helpless and doesn't understand big feelings and can't handle the enormity of the situation. And a little one wouldn't be able to articulate and the grown self in us can't articulate it either. And we all say the same things and we get the same responses of I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm sorry you're going through this and stuff and and that's all um, people loving us, but they don't have words either because they see this sort of news and it. Pulls them into that silent space that we have inside ourselves that's just shocked and so sad. And there just aren't any words. But we're trying to use our words with each other, and you're right, it helps so much. I can totally relate to what you're talking about with your work story and something going wrong and thinking it must be you. I hear this all the time with people in recovery, especially new recovery, um, that um, if something goes wrong anywhere near them or they even hear of something wrong, oh, I must have done something. I must have done something just this lack of trust of self or this assumption that this bad part of you is coming out and rearing its head and it must have played some part in anything bad and it's really sad and scary and confusing but we're all recovering from something it's not just alcoholism and you know you can look at the ways that you're recovering, you know, from the years of the marriage you had and from the first years of divorce and single motherhood and from breaking free of fundamentalism, it's all recovery and healing. And when we're recovering from anything, I think we we just go into self-blame right away because if there's something to recover from... It involves shame. And so that's where it's coming from, I think. And then while we were dealing with all that shame, we developed this control freak perfectionism. I can do this, it's going to be okay, it'll all look okay. I don't want to disappoint anybody, I don't want to fail anybody. I want my kids to be happy, I want them to know that they can talk to me, I want to be able to keep my shit together, and when we can't, we feel that bad self rising up, like it must be that we're being bad. Of course, those are lies. (laughs) I want you to know it's a lie, stuff, and... I don't want you to have any more weekends where you wonder the whole time what you did wrong. (sighs) To get to a place where you can just say, okay, this is a thing that's happening. doesn't necessarily have anything to do with me. And take a deep breath and move forward without it being a dark cloud over you. I want that for me too. I struggle with it, too. I think so many of us do. That's why I love you so much. You say it, and it's so relatable. Um, and your other question, if I can remember right, was kind of about <clears throat> um, you know, seeing something and not liking it and then realizing that it's inside you and that mirror experience, I think. Um, yes, of course. Of course, I have things like that. I think sometimes I'm like, is this a joke? Because I'm not a judgy person. We all think things, and <laughs> make judgments to some degree, but I've always been really quick to give people the benefit of the doubt and see the good in people and just try to understand them and have kind of an innate um, reaction of understanding people. Like, oh, I can see how you got that way, or I just feel how someone got that way, and then I can um, be more patient. And But the times that I'm not, the times that I'm like, you're being awful or you're doing that wrong, or whatever thoughts I have about something someone is doing it never fails that within a short time I am faced with the same thing myself and catch myself doing the thing that I am criticizing in my mind and that's when I'm like seriously like look up to the sky and shrug I'm like okay I'll try I'll try harder to stop doing that (laughs) because it is the thing I hate I hate judgment and people not being accepting and loving and, you know, I, I do catch myself being angry and critical. And, you know, when I hear your pain, even if you've come to terms a lot with your brother and it is an easy choice, Luna is the easy choice and love is the easy choice, um, it isn't for a lot of people. And so you have done a courageous thing in not caring what someone thinks, even if they are your blood. And that's hard because there's this lingering stuff that's kind of chasing you around about what people think and wishing you could change it and... Why does it have to be this way? But what I think makes me angry is especially, I mean, all of it, but what makes me angry is, like, I want to shake people and be like, look at what you've done. Because it isn't that Luna being who she is has done anything to them. Absolutely not. And for them to be able to step away and say I don't want anything to do with that means I don't want anything to do with her and that is them creating the pain and you know that but when someone else has created the pain and the rift and the space and then you have to wonder what it's going to be like to have to be around them in certain life situations or to have to deal with it. It's, it's such unfair stress on you. And we just need to keep being each other's therapist. <laughs> Not that I have all the answers, and I know you don't feel like you do either, but <sighs> so much of the power gets taken away from hard things when we speak out loud what's inside us no matter what it looks like in the moment whether we've figured it out or not and I love that about us and our conversations and I hope it brings peace to other people who need it Um, going through hard things and need to know that we're living those hard things too and we're living them out loud not behind anything or anyone or any system and um that's why we're gonna be okay somehow I know you saw the Instagram post video of my mom fixing my hair um I really did have some terrible bed head and winter hat hair. And I just don't care anymore, you know. It's like I, I go around looking like that. <laughs> and uh, in the past, she might have said something cutting or um, made a disgusted noise. That's just the truth. She didn't mean to hurt me in those ways. She just... Had kind of an edge to her like that. Kind of felt like disgust. And that's gone with her mind. And I wanted it for so long. I wanted her to just love me exactly how I am. Is that what we all want? what Luna wants. It's what you want. and It's so confusing. Trying to surrender when that's not happening. And still believing that it might. And meeting people a little part of the way. I mean, I never left her. I never gave up on her. Um, and this is different. This is totally different. If she had something with one of my kids that she <laughs> behaved in an unloving way, then things would be different, but um, it was painful for a lot of years, and in many ways, my mom was a good mom, but like I said earlier, she's not very nurturing and kind of into her own thing, and it just was what it was, and, um, and to have her now be so comforted by me and and actually seem to really like being with me without kind of butting heads or feeling some kind of tension. It's just like I wrote on Instagram it feels like it's too late. And it feels like it's right on time. And what we're able to do is give our kids that now. And I'm just so grateful for that. I don't do it perfectly. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed and deep in my grief and stressed by the daily grind that I just don't feel like I'm doing that well with my kids either. But they know we can have difficult conversations and I know that they know. That they know that they know that I will love them, no matter what they bring to me and treat them well, sometimes I'll walk around here acting like I don't like anybody because I'm so tired, but it isn't them, and we talk about that, you know it's not It's not ever them, whatever is happening in that moment that might feel like it's them because they're kids and they take everything their mom does to to mean maybe she's unhappy with them. I can correct that. I can tell them the true story that's probably different than the one they're telling themselves when I'm lost. Oh, So anyway, I don't know. I'm probably forgetting something. I will wrap it up and tell you that since we always try to throw in what we're reading or watching um i did watch i can never think of the title very well maybe i already told you this i don't think i did um but the uh the hatchet wielding hitchhiker documentary on netflix um totally nuts and people need to watch it it's not what it sounds like it is it sounds like it's like a horror documentary or something but just this homeless guy um, and some vigilante justice and this is just turning into a crazy story about this guy and then if anybody watches it they then need to top it off by listening to Tig and Cheryl True Story their podcast about that documentary (laughs) It's just so fun to listen to them. They make me happy and they make me laugh. And that's one of the ways that I'm taking care of myself is trying to watch and listen to a little bit lighter stuff during this time um, and use my sense of humor. And it feels like you're like getting a sense of humor massage when you listen to funny people. It's the weirdest thing I've ever said. I love you. Well, that was a doozy. That was a ditty of a doozy. Two of my favorite words, ditty and doozy. But it was um, so healing, and I hope it reminds us all that speaking honestly and openly from the heart to the people we trust is so healing and powerful and we hope it wasn't just totally depressing for you hope you feel it too and feel understood and less alone maybe next time we'll go a little lighter on topics but then again this is going to be right after I moved my mom into memory care, so let's not all cross our fingers and toes, huh? We love you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.